Welcome y'all to Love God and Your Neighbor. I'm Pastor Laura Hutchinson from First Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Anniston, Alabama. We are an open and affirming anti-racism pro-reconciling congregation, which is a whole lot of words, which just mean that we try our very best to love all people as God created them to be. I am so grateful that you're here today, and I really hope and pray that your time with us helps you sense the Holy Spirit in your midst, wherever you are. May you be blessed by the words spoken, by the music played by our music director, Gerald Roberts, and our trumpeter, Annie Ingram, and by the hymns sung by our worship leader, Jason Wright. Whether you are here simply to listen to the music or to hear the sermon or to participate in the whole service, this is a time of worship, a time to bring our whole selves into the presence of God and to ask God to accept our praise and our love, however we are led to express it. There are several ways that we can worship our Lord and Savior. One is to sing. And so I encourage you to sing today. Another is to pray. You can worship by studying scriptures. You can worship by celebrating the Lord's Supper, which we will do today. And you can worship by giving of your tithes and offerings. Tithing is a spiritual discipline that helps us grow closer to God and to give thanks to God for all that God has given us. Whether your tithes and offerings are given to your home church or to us, God receives them with joy and love. So if you feel so moved, please consider giving to God through First Christian Church here in Anniston. You can either go to our webpage, www.fccanniston.org, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click the Donate Now button. PayPal is the only functioning donation option for the time being. Otherwise, you can donate by sending a check to First Christian Church, 1327 Layton Avenue, Anniston, Alabama, 36207. And so now I invite you to gather your elements for communion. Gather bread or crackers, juice or wine. And I invite you to light a candle. Let us welcome in the light of Christ as we come to the Lord with adoration and love. You may pause this recording while you go and get what you need. Now all of our hymns can be found in your Friday Reminders email. If you don't currently get that email, contact us on our website www.fccanniston.org and ask us to add you to our list. And now, let us sing our first two hymns of praise. This is a day of new beginnings, hymn number 518, and all who hunger gather gladly, hymn number 419. Let us sing together. Oh. Uh-huh. 
and death of Jesus, God's mighty Spirit now as then can make for us a world of difference as faith and Christ is living bread, come from lowly 
Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. The scripture says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there, from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they might go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. Those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Now, almost every Christian in the world knows the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Even people who aren't Christians know the story. And if they don't know the story, they probably have heard of it. Everyone knows about the miracle of when Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and somehow managed to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. So perhaps he fed upwards of 10 to 15 or even 20,000 people. So we know the story, but do we know why Jesus did it? What is the significance of this miracle in particular? And it is significant, we know, because it is the only miracle that appears in all four of the Gospels. Well, here in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus had gotten word that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded by the ruler Herod. In his grief, he wanted to be alone, of course. So he took a boat and sailed to what he thought was a deserted place. But the people got there ahead of him and were waiting for him when he came ashore. Now, I can only imagine what he was feeling, first in his grief and secondly when he saw that enormous crowd waiting for him. Do you think he cried for his cousin? 
Bible says that Jesus wept for Lazarus. I imagine he leapt, wept for John as well. Do you think he was weary from all the crowds and all the traveling, all the preaching and teaching, all the miracles, the healing, all the neediness? Is it possible that the very first thing Jesus felt when he saw thousands of people waiting for him on that shore was irritation? Maybe he thought, can't I have just a moment of peace to grieve? We don't know that he felt that, but I think we would have felt that way if we were him. The story doesn't say, but I imagine that if he felt grief, then he could also have felt fatigue and even irritation from time to time. Maybe. We don't know for sure. But we do know that no matter what else he might have been feeling, Jesus also felt compassion for those people. In his godliness, he knew the heart and the needs of the people, and he knew why they followed him. He knew their emptiness and their fear and their yearning for God to fill them, and he knew that they were drawn to him because he could fulfill those needs. So in his compassion, he left his boat and healed their sick. All in all, Jesus had done plenty to promote the kingdom of heaven that day. In that crowd of thousands, who knows how many sick and injured people were made well. And in receiving and witnessing those healings, who knows how many people were made spiritually whole. So when the disciples came to him at the end of the day, it was not unreasonable for them to suggest that he send the people on their way so they could go find something to eat. They probably recognized that the crowd's desire to be in Jesus's presence was so intense that maybe some of them would have even starved to death rather than leave him to find food. And still Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. But why? What is the significance of this miracle? And what does it mean to us today? Well, the obvious meaning behind this miracle is the one that, that most, scholars are, most scholars and preachers focus on, including me in past sermons. And that is that Jesus is showing that you can put all your faith in him to provide and that nothing is impossible with him. Most of the time you will hear us preacher types pointing to this moment in Jesus's ministry to show why you should have faith in Jesus no matter what. And that is an accurate interpretation of this text. But I believe that there is another message Jesus is giving us that goes beyond our own faith and pushes us into action in our world. Because what we have here is a moment when the disciples see thousands of hungry people who have turned to Jesus for help in their time of need, primarily for healing. And the disciples believe that their only option is to turn them away to fend for themselves. And of course they think that's their only option. They have no food to offer them, so they have to send them away, right? And how many times does that, does that happen to us in this life? How many times is there someone before us who has a need that we don't believe we can fulfill? How many times do churches turn down opportunities to help those in need because they don't think they have the time or the energy, the supplies, the money, so on and so forth to give what is needed from them? 
There are so many times when opportunities to help a neighbor are presented to Christ's followers, and there are so many times when a Christ follower turns away the need simply because they don't think they can help them. Well, maybe they can't help them, but Jesus is telling us here that he can help them. And there are even more times when Christ's followers are asked to help, but they simply don't want to be bothered. Either the need is too tedious or the need requires too much sacrifice on behalf of the one giving help. So they turn their backs on their neighbors before them and they say no. We're all guilty of this, just like the disciples in the scripture. And Jesus is telling us all that if we lean into him, then he will make it possible. Perhaps we just need to nurture that compassion in our hearts that Jesus had for the crowds when he saw them waiting for him on the shore. Now, this doesn't mean that every time someone asks you for money, you should give it to them. That's not what I'm saying, and I don't believe that that's what Jesus is saying either. But there are often ways to help people who really need help that don't require money. And there are times when saying no to a person is what they really need to hear at that moment. And so we must always turn to Christ for guidance, for wisdom, and the means to do what is right for that person at that time. Whether the right thing is to say yes, or the right thing is to say no. Now an example of saying yes. There have been many times when someone has come into our office at the church looking for help with something. Sometimes they want prayer. I give it to them. Sometimes they need help with prescriptions. Sometimes they need food. And most of the time, they need money. There was a time when I thought it was my responsibility to help every person who came through those doors. And in most cases, it was my responsibility. However, it was not always my responsibility to open my wallet and give them cash. In fact, that is rarely the correct answer. Instead, I have learned to rely on the services that are available in our area to provide a whole lot of what is needed. But instead of taking the easy way out and just saying, why don't you go over to Interfaith Ministries or Community Enabler and ask them for help? I'll say, come into my office, sit down, and let me make some phone calls. Let's see what we can do. And nine times out of ten, I get someone on the phone who can help the person with their specific need. Sometimes I need to call three or four different places, but eventually I'm able to make an appointment for them right then and there. That way that the person, that poor person, the person in need before me, is not condemned to walking all over town in the hopes of bumping into someone who might help them. In most cases, Jesus has already been working in our communities to create a framework, a framework of aid that is designed to help as many people as possible with as many problems as possible. For us, it's important to do the legwork and to find out what is available so that we can help make appropriate referrals when they are needed. There are other times, though, when people need more from us. For example, you might be faced with an opportunity to take someone into your home in order to help keep them from becoming homeless. This is an incredibly inconvenient thing to do, I know. But really, neither was serving food to 15,000 people, was it? Even if they had had enough for everyone, which of course they did in the most miraculous way, right? Right? 
Again, I don't mean that you should take every homeless person you meet into your home. That is unwise. But there might be a time when you know in your heart of hearts that Jesus is asking you to help someone in this way. And you have to make a decision right then. These questions might come up in your mind. Questions like, what if I can't afford to feed this person for very long? What if they end up having to stay longer than we had planned? What if they are annoying? What if they steal from me? What if they end up being too demanding or requiring more time than I have to give? What if? And Jesus points us back to moments in his ministry when he told parables of doing inconvenient things to help others or when he and his disciples did inconvenient and seemingly impossible things to help others in God's name. And each time the kingdom of God was strengthened by those moments of sacrifice and grace. And they created another door through which a person could enter that kingdom themselves. The thing is, though, most of the time, helping someone isn't difficult or strenuous or expensive or even time-consuming. Most of the time, it just requires a little faith that God will take care of the details. All you have to do is say, let me see what I can do. There have been so many times in our lives when we have let these chances to help others pass us by. Times when we have felt overwhelmed by the task and thought that it was impossible. Times when someone in our presence was hungry, but we didn't think we had the time or the means to feed them. Times when someone needed something, but we were too distracted or busy or tired to want to stop and help. Or times when someone needed something and we simply didn't want to make the sacrifice that we'd have to make to provide for them, or times when a problem seemed too large to solve and required too many resources, too much money, and too many people. But Jesus is telling us that if we depend on him, he will show us the way, give us the means, give us the energy, and take care of the details to be able to help make that happen. The thing is, There really is plenty of food in this world to feed every person, isn't there? And there is plenty of money to provide for all the needs, right? Imagine if we shared what we have. Imagine if everybody who had shared with someone who didn't have. Now, I'm not promoting specific economic systems or political parties here. I'm talking about living a life of faith as a follower of Christ. I'm asking you, how do you feel called to live your life? And how does this story influence you in the way you live out your faith as a Christian? Well, the People's New Testament commentary says that this story isn't really a story at all. They say that it's actually a commandment for all of us to live by. It says, The command of Jesus transcends the story framework and speaks directly to every reader who has food that could be shared with a hungry world. That food might be actual food, and often it is, but it could also be food for the soul as well. Jesus is asking us to look beyond our assumptions of what could happen in the context of earthly limitations and instead ask ourselves, what is possible with Christ? 
The thing is, anything is possible with Christ, especially when we are seeking to answer the two commandments, to love God with all our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That day in that deserted place, the disciples forgot for a moment who their rabbi was. They forgot with whom they traveled. They forgot all of the miracles that they had seen him do, even just that very day. And all they could do was focus on an insurmountable problem that could only be solved by sending the people away. They had thousands upon thousands of people who needed to be fed and supposedly no way to feed them. And so Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And of course they replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. So what would happen if every follower of Christ faced every dilemma by taking what they had to Jesus and saying, what can you do with this? I mean, can you just imagine? The thing is, there have been followers throughout history who have done just that. And they have made an enormous difference in people's lives. Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis, Thurgood Marshall, and Rosa Parks said, Jesus, here's the problem. What can you do with this? And with what I have to give? And they ended up making the world a safer, more just place for people of color in the United States of America. We still, of course, have a long way to go, but the hope of success is there because they did their part to help others. And then there's Mother Teresa, who gave what she had to those dying in Calcutta, and she changed the way people look at the supposedly untouchable people of India. And then there's Clara Barton, who saw soldiers suffering on the battlefields during the Civil War and decided that she could do the most good by being present at those battles and nursing wounded soldiers right then and there. Her efforts led her to found the American Red Cross. And in 1975, people of faith, both Christians and Jews in Anniston, Alabama, saw that there were people who needed help, but individually they couldn't do much. So they decided to pool their resources to address those needs, thus forming Interfaith Ministries, an organization that provides everything from help with bills and rent to prescription assistance to dental care to providing fresh produce to people living in a food desert and so on and so forth. None of those people expected to begin something as monumental as what they ended up doing. And most of the people who end up saying yes to a request for help never end up becoming famous or starting national movements. But they change the world nonetheless. When Jesus fed those people in the wilderness that day, he didn't save a life or change world policy or do anything but provide enough bread and fish to fill those hungry people's bellies. But what he did do was teach the world a lesson about how miraculous it can be when you simply agree to do what you can with what you have for another person in need. And when you do that, you lay another brick in the road leading us all to the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen.
I invite you to sing together Community of Christ, hymn number 655. that goes a little like this. Back in the early 1800s, Alexander Campbell was waiting in line to take communion in his little Scottish Presbyterian church. As he waited for his turn at the altar, he looked at the token in his hand. This token was issued to him once the elders of his church deemed him worthy to receive the Lord's Supper. If they had thought him unworthy, he would not have been permitted to partake. Well, as he moved up in the line, he realized what a terrible thing that was for a fellow human being to decide whether or not you could sit at the Lord's table. The Lord's table should be open to all, he thought. After all, Jesus died for all of us. And if we love Christ as our Savior, what difference does it make if we are Scottish Presbyterian, Anglican, Baptist, Catholic, or whatever? We want to eat the supper laid out for us by our Lord, and no one can keep us from eating it, because Jesus invited us. When Campbell finally stepped up to the altar to present his token, he threw it down upon the altar and walked out. Apparently, that was one of the influencing moments that led to the founding of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ movement. Now, I don't know if that story is true or if it is just legend, but I do know that it really does illustrate the ideals and beliefs of our founders, Thomas and Alexander Campbell, Barton W. Stone, and Preston Taylor. They understood that to be 
They understood that to be a Christian is to love God through Jesus Christ and to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believed that the communion table was a place of unity for all Christians, no matter what denomination or doctrine or creed you might adhere to. This is the place where we put aside our differences of biblical interpretation, our differences of worship style, our theological opinions, and this is the place where we simply worship Christ as our Savior. It is here at this table, in the eating of this meal, that we remember what God did for us through Jesus. And it is here that we, as followers of Christ, are made one. Come to the table to eat. Come and worship your Savior. On the night when the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, blessed it, and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, blessed it, and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Precious God, we thank you for your son, for coming to us as a human being, and we thank you for literally giving everything to save us from our sins. Forgive us this day, O Lord, and wash us clean of all the wrong we might have done. Help us to be better, more loving, more sacrificial, more kind, more forgiving, more generous with our fellow human being, and help us to live the gospel with every breath we take. Bless this bread and this cup, and may your grace and love fill us in the eating of this humble meal. Amen. I invite you now to eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And drink. This is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Now let us sing together our communion hymn, Fill My Cup, Lord, hymn number 351. Craving 
which you can find in the About This Episode section of the podcast. By partaking in this meal, we remember that Christ was born. Christ Christ died. died. Christ was raised. Christ Christ will will come come again. again. This is the mystery of our faith. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. When Jesus fed those 5,000 men, plus the women and the children, he did more than fill their bellies for the evening. When Jesus fed those people with just five loaves of barley bread and two fish, he commissioned us with the task of going out and doing the same. It was Jesus' power that caused that meager amount of food to feed so many, but it was his disciples who passed it out to the crowds. Go out from this service and share the power of Christ with everyone that you meet. Go in peace. And now let us sing together our hymn of sending forth, Lord, whose love through humble service. Lord, whose love through humble service for the weight of human need, who Cross forsaken, offered mercy's perfect deed. We, your servants, bring the worship, not our voice alone, but heart, consecrating to your purpose every gift that you impart. Still, your children wonder. Still the hungry cry for bread, still the captives long for freedom, still the grief we mourn their dead. As all all your deep compassion, heal the sick and free the soul, use the love your spirit kindles, still to save and make us whole. 
As we worship, grant us vision Till your love's revealing light In its height and depth and greatness Dawns upon our quickened sight Make alone the needs and burdens Your compassion bid us bear Stirring us to tireless striving your abundant life to share.